1: with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Visit lisa.com forward slash hoops to learn more. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash H O O P S. The volume the NBA season is in full swing, and when I can't get enough of the action on the court, I spice things up by betting on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA. Right now, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. I was looking at the lines for making the playoffs today. And you can get the Lakers at plus 115 to make the playoffs. And the Warriors, check this out, at plus 205. To make the playoffs, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code HOOPS. That's H O O P S. New customers can bet five bucks on the NBA and get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. That's H O O P S. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit www.1800Gambler.net. In New York, call 877 Hope and why or text HOPE and why to 467369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21+ plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having an incredible week. We got a fun show for you today. I watched Clippers Suns last night, so I wanted to get a uh, instant reaction in on that game. Then we're gonna do our power rankings like we promised yesterday. And then at the end of the show, we're gonna do 11 mailbag questions. Gonna be bouncing all around the league. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. It means mean a lot to me if you guys would take a second to scroll down and hit that subscribe button. Don't forget about our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements or the film threads that I do from time to time in the mornings. And then keep dropping mailbag questions in the YouTube comments. And then just so you guys know, I'm leaving in about an hour and a half to uh, go to the airport. I'm flying up to Park City to ski this weekend. So I'm going to be gone for a little while, but we'll, uh, if something major happens, I'm Bringing my stuff with me, and then we'll, I'll be back in about three days, and then we'll get back to it. And then, lastly, before we get started, have you guys ever had like a really bad ticket buying experience? Like the, price ends up being way more than you expected because of the way that the individual ticket price is marketed, or you're not sure where your ticket is, or just how much value you're getting out of your purchase. That's what I want to talk to you guys about game time uh, for a minute. I love their transparent ticket purchasing process. They have all in pricing, so you know exactly what you're going to pay. Up front, they give you a visual of where your seat is so you know exactly what the value is. It's an all around great experience. And as much as we love talking about basketball and as much as we love watching it on TV when we can, nothing beats actually going and seeing a game. I think, especially after this deadline, this this, uh, tail end of the season is going to be unbelievable. So many teams think that they have an opportunity to win. Hop on the Game Time app, make sure you guys can find a game that you can get out there and see them. In person, take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code HOOPS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code HOOPS, that's H O O P S, for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, let's talk some basketball. So the Suns took a brief little five-point lead in the second quarter, and then the Clippers just methodically pulled away from there. Uh, James Harden was awesome in the run there at the end of the second quarter as the Clippers took the lead back. It was just killing them in pick and roll. He... Uh, hit a step-back three, hit a pull-up mid-range jump shot when he snaked to the pick-and-roll. Got all the way downhill and got his shoulder into Drew Eubanks and finished on the left side of the basket. He hit Zubots on a couple of pocket passes, which led to weak side rotations to get guys like Terrence May and close that opportunity. Just classic Harden offensive engine stuff. Remember James Harden, as much as we can criticize him in the postseason, there aren't many players that are better regular season engines than James Harden because he can consistently generate high-quality shots for himself in pick and roll in an ISO, and then he can get the defense in rotation. I thought Terrence Mann did an awesome job defending Devin Booker and kind of taking away some of the advantage situations that Devin can uh, uh, generate. The Clippers forced Devin Booker into six turnovers. Kawhi bounced back from his rough shooting night. He went eight for 15 after going six for 17 against the Lakers the other night. The, the Suns, it just never felt like they could gain any sort of significant momentum in this game. And that's where, like... What screamed to me off the screen in this game is that the Clippers are just a better version of the Suns. These are two teams that have a lot of guys that like to look for their own shot, right? These are a lot of guys. I would argue that like PG and Quire are a little bigger and maybe a little bit more efficient overall. Uh, uh, it can get closer to the rim, but Katie and Devin Booker, I think, are better passers. But they're, if you actually look down the roster, it's like, Kawhi's kind of every bit as good as KD, if not a little bit better, right? And, it, and has played better basketball this year than KD. Paul George is playing better ball than Devin Booker this season. And if both of those guys, PG and Kawhi, are significantly more impactful on the defensive end of the floor. James Harden is playing better basketball right now than Bradley Beal. Terrence Mann, like if you start to look at that, like Grayson Allen, Eric Gordon, Josh Okogie, kind of like fifth guy in the lineup thing, Terrence Mann's just a better two-way player, Then all those guys, even though he's having a rough shooting season, and then Zubats is just a better version of Yusuf Nurkic, bit more physical, is a a better defensive player, holds up more, uh, he can actually cause more problems fighting guys off of spots. uh, When it comes to the other centers around the league, they're just better. Clippers are 11th in defense. The Suns are 17th in defense. Both suck at defensive rebounding, but the Clippers are 21st and the Suns are 23rd. Both teams take a ton of pull-up jump shots. Last night was crazy. There was 33 pull-up two-pointers in the game, and 19 of them went in. That's 1.15 points per shot. Imagine that. All the analytics guys were probably having a heart attack watching all those mid-range jump shots, and yet them still being highly efficient shots. But here's the thing, in the big in the big picture, both teams attempt a ton of pull-up jumpers. The Clippers get 1.01 points per pull-up jump shot this season. The Suns get 0.94, so even in that, the Clippers are a more efficient offense. Now, to be clear, the Suns still have a ton of room for improvement. But even just from the standpoint of personnel, the Clippers just look like a better version of them, and that would scare me if I was a Phoenix fan's uh, a fan just because, you know, when you start to look at these uh, uh, teams in terms of their championship contingent, you're, uh, every team is good and bad at different things, right? Like every team has strengths and strengths and weaknesses. Like Denver even winning the championship last year, their bench is not their strong suit, right? Like that's not going to be an area where they win games in, in most situations, right? Like everyone's got their strengths. Everyone got has their weaknesses. The difference is, is the Clippers and the Suns have similar strengths and weaknesses except for the Clippers have better strengths and their weaknesses are less weak. And and that would concern me from that standpoint um, uh, because you're either going to have to go through the Clippers or go through teams that the Clippers beat. And in that specific case... It's just a tough matchup because a team that would beat the Clippers would present similar issues for the Suns in terms of their overall size on the front line and things along those lines. Now, for the Suns to try to close that gap, they need Devin Booker to get back to the level he was at in the playoffs last year, which he has not been, except for out of the first few games of the season. They need Bradley Beal to find his groove. He's struggling to convert spot-up possessions into points right now, even though he's shooting the ball well. In general, it looks like a little bit of a clunky fit offensively at this point. And they probably need to hit a trade, something in terms of a wing athlete that can do dirty work for them while also being a plus offensive player. They need all of that stuff to go right for them, for them to get up to that level. So definitely concerning for the Suns right now. Again, I, I talked about. The, I'm going to talk more about this in the power rankings. Uh, but I'm going to put the Clippers on my championship contender list. I just want to wait until after these Thunder, uh, Thunder Timberwolves matchups that are coming up next week. I think it's the 12th and the 14th. So it's right around the corner after those games. We'll see, but right now I'd put them above the suns uh, for sure at this point. All right, moving on to our power ranking. So to give you an idea, I wanted to read this out because it's classic example of January in the NBA. So last week, our power rankings were Boston at one, OKC at two, Minnesota at three, Clippers at four, Milwaukee at five, Philly at six, Sacramento at seven, Nuggets at 8, the Pacers at 9, and the Pelicans at 10. But it's January in the NBA. So this is what has happened since I put that list together a week ago today. The Celtics just lost to the Pacers without Tyrese Halliburton after beating them with Tyrese two days earlier. The Thunder followed up their huge win over Boston with back-to-back losses to the Hawks and the Nets, two teams that have been free-falling over the last month. The Minnesota Timberwolves have lost three of their last four games. The Los Angeles Clippers just lost to an ice cold Los Angeles Lakers team. The Bucs have lost four out of five and just got murdered at home by the Utah Jazz. The 76ers have lost three of four, and they just got murdered at home by the Utah Jazz. The Kings just lost by 33 points at home to the New Orleans Pelicans and lost to Charlotte a few days before that. The Nuggets just lost to an ice-cold Orlando Magic team, and the Pelicans and the Pacers are both playing well, but they both recently just got outclassed by the Clippers and the Celtics. So, like... We're going to move teams around accordingly on the power rankings list this week because that's the purpose of the list to kind of, you know, uh, quantify regular season basketball. But we should never read too much into January basketball. It is a confluence of events that lead to a lot of wild swings in effort between teams on a night-to-night basis, which can lead to some weird results. Everyone has been in this grind since early October so it's like three plus full months of work, yet you're not even halfway done. So you can see how that can get fatiguing. The trade deadline is still a month away, so there's no real change on the horizon. Most cha- Usually when we get to this point, it's not until like the last couple of weeks where you start to see some action. And then all the shit you've accomplished to this point just doesn't matter when the Utah when the Utah Jazz come into your building and they're young and they're athletic and they're playing their ass off. They don't care how many wins you have. They don't care where you're at in the standings. They're young, they're talented, and they're going to come play hard for 48 minutes. And if you don't, you're going to lose. And you might lose ugly. And it's worse now than ever because there's so much talent in the league. So the point being, we can still learn things during January, but it's probably the month that can most misrepresent what a team is capable of. Like, for instance... A lot of people are jumping off the Bucks and the Lakers right now because they've been playing some god-awful basketball uh, in the last couple of weeks, right? But, I mean, you're be my guest if you want to pick against Dame and Giannis in a playoff series or pick against LeBron James and Anthony Davis in a playoff series. Like, I think both teams are still really good. And they're just, just stuck in the mud of January NBA basketball. I think the Lakers in particular are desperate for some turnover. I think the Bucks too could use an upgrade, although I know Mal- Malik Beasley wants them to stick with what they got. But again, the point is January in the NBA is weird. So we learn what we can, but we try not to overreact to anything that happens in this particular month. I have two teams dropping out from last week. The Sacramento Kings are 5-5 five and five in their last 10. They just got obliterated by the Pelicans at home the other night, lost to Charlotte before that. Just going through a rough patch. So they're off the list for right now. The Pacers I'm taking off. Yes, they're playing amazing basketball. They've won seven out of eight. But Tyrese Halliburton just strained a hamstring and is going to be out for at least two weeks. So I kind of want to just use that spot as an opportunity to shout out another team as the Pacers will have to play some funky basketball for a few weeks. The Pacers, I fully expect, will make it back onto the list into the future. So number 10, the New York Knicks. They are undefeated, 4-0. Since OG and Adobe joined the team, a 121 offensive rating, which is awesome, and a 103 defensive rating, which is the best in the league over that uh, that last four games. Quality wins, too. They destroyed the Sixers in Philly, and they also beat the Minnesota Timberwolves. I want to shout out Julius Randle. He's gone for 35-plus in four of his last six games, hooping his ass off. The Knicks have a much more imposing physical profile now with OG in the lineup. They're going to be hard out when we get to the postseason. Number nine, The Dallas Mavericks, they've won four out of five, including wins over Minnesota and Golden State. Kyrie and Luka were playing so well against Minnesota that even uh, despite them having two of the best perimeter defenders in the league when they're engaged, they were throwing multiple bodies into their two-man game, which was uh, just putting Minnesota into rotation and causing all sorts of problems. Just a a testament to how good Kyrie and Luka can be in the half court. But most importantly, the Mavericks are third in defensive rating over their last 10 games. Really encouraging stuff coming out of Dallas that could bode well for the postseason. That's much closer to the Dallas team that we saw from two years ago. Number eight, the New Orleans Pelicans took a beating from the Clippers, who are just a better basketball team right now, but they are still playing great ball. They've won each of the other five games in their last six. They bounced back by obliterating the Kings in Sacramento the other night. They're getting super balanced scoring. Really high-level pick-and-roll shot creation from C.J. McCollum and Brandon Ingram, and they have the second-best defense in the league over the last 15 games. We have Pelicans at 8. Number 7, the Philadelphia 76ers. During this 1-3 stretch, their offense has completely fallen off of a cliff. They're shooting a league-worst 42% from the field in that span and a league-worst 26% from three over that four-game span. Embiid has been great. But um, uh, Tyrese Maxey is in a little bit of a slump. that has been a big driving force behind their offense struggling. Number six, the Milwaukee Bucks. They've lost four out of five and five out of eight. They've been a bottom five defense over their last eight games. Obviously, the point of attack has been a problem. Help and rotation has not been great. They're only 10th in offense over that span. Basically, everyone not named Giannis isn't playing well. I think this team is much, much better than they look right now. They're just a victim of some January basketball, some midseason blues. They have issues, but so does everyone else, and they have a ton of strengths. I think they're going to still be at the top when we get – or near the top when we get to the end of the season. Number five, the Minnesota Timberwolves. They're starting to crack a little bit under their brutal schedule. They've lost four out of seven games. Ironically, it's been their defense that has struggled. They're 12th in defense over that span. I didn't really like their strategy late in the game against Dallas. This is not a defense that has a ton of foot speed, so they really need to keep their perimeter defenders defending actions one-on-one and two-on-two, which means less aggression uh, uh, in terms of bringing their help side defenders out. I think when they get in rotation, their foot speed becomes a little bit of an issue. That's just a little schematic thing. Two more tough games in this uh, schedule stretch at Orlando and at Boston, and then things will lighten up for them. Number four, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Their defense has caused the slippage since the Boston win. They were third in defensive rating in December. They are 27th so far in defensive rating through four games in January. They are also giving up an offensive rebound on 39.2% of their opponents' misses, which is by far the worst mark of the, uh, in the league over the course of January so far. That's been a consistent weakness for the Thunder during the season is their inability to clean up the defensive glass. Number three, the Denver Nuggets. They dropped a game to Orlando the other day, but it was something crazy, like their ninth back-to-back of the season, which is an absolutely brutal schedule when you consider we're less than halfway through an 82-game season. So 18 of their, you know, like basically half their games to this point have been in back-to-backs. That's tough. So I still think they're the clear championship favorite at this point. Barring an injury to a starter, I just think they're going to win. Uh, now Peyton Watson has become so good that he's kind of filled that Bruce Brown alternate fifth closer spot really nicely. And I actually think he can be better than Bruce Brown in the long run because he's a bigger, stronger, a bigger, more le- uh, long athlete, right? Uh, nuggets all the way up at number three. Number two, the Los Angeles Clippers. They're basically undefeated with Kawhi in the lineup since November outside of the Laker game on Sunday. And the Lakers are a much better team than their record shows. And the Lakers were at home. And they were super desperate, so that's a tough game to win under any circumstances. They came back the next uh, the next night and just completely outclassed the, sl- the the Phoenix Suns. I'm going to add them to my championship contender list. It's just a question of where, and I'm going to do it after the Minnesota Oklahoma City game. So we'll do like a championship contender update episode when we get closer to that point. And then lastly, I think they've been here three, four weeks in a row now, the Boston Celtics. They lost a weird game to the Pacers last night after Tyrese Saliburton left the game, but they did just literally outclass the Pacers with Tyrese Saliburton in the lineup two nights earlier. So just kind of weird January basketball stuff. Tatum's pull-up jump shot is red hot, and the Celtics offense is insane right now. 128 offensive rating in their last 10 games. That's a full 2.1 points ahead of the number two spot over that span. from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoopstakes. takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
2: Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. Yeah. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.
1: All right, let's move on to our mailbag. We have 11 mailbag questions Hey, Jason, big fan of the show. How do you think the Kings should handle the trade deadline? It was already clear that an upgrade from Barnes was necessary, but now Herder's struggles have added a new sense of urgency for a trade. What do you think is the smartest approach to the second half of the season for the Kings? So, you know, it's interesting. As I look at the Kings, I I, want to, like, I really like the idea of more size in the lineup when you factor in Demonis Sabonis and some of his defensive limitations, right? We've seen this before with, um... We've seen this with the Pelicans this year. We see it with the Nuggets this year and last year in the postseason. When you have a really, really good low man, like a guy like kind of like what Brandon Ingram's been doing for the Pelicans a lot this year, uh, kind of like what Aaron Gordon's been doing for the Nuggets forever, when your weak side defenders have real length and size and athletic tools, it makes it so that you can bring your big man higher into your pick-and-roll coverages to be more aggressive where his inability to block shots is not as much of a problem, and it's more basketball IQ, quick hands, defensive rotation stuff that comes to the surface, which actually fits Sabonis' skill set more. But you have to have a top-tier athlete at the four. That can really cause problems as a low man in help situations rotating back to the weak side and cleaning up the defensive glass. So we know they went after Siakam and that that deal fell apart probably because Kevin Herter, or not Kevin Herter, excuse me, because Keegan Murray was being pulled from the deal. And I totally understand that thought process. Keegan Murray's a really exciting young player. But the idea is if you can get a Siakam type of player in at the four, all of a sudden that raises your defensive ceiling substantially. I also think people have underestimated Pascal Siakam as a post-up shot creator, which would add a kind of additional you know, playoff – entry point for their offense, which I think is worth looking at. The other thing too, I think when push comes to shove, you got to go down with Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox on the floor. Uh, I think it just gives you the amount of dribble penetration you need to dissect playoff defenses. And so a lot of that kind of entails, if I've got De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk, De'Aaron Fox can take high leverage defensive assignments. And I actually think that that's kind of the best version of the Kings is when De'Aaron Fox is really locked in on the defensive end. But if Malik Monk's your two, I I really need three good forwards there, right? Or two good forwards next to Demonis Sabonis. And so, like, at a certain point, you got to ask yourself, like, do you want to sit here and wait for Keegan Murray's development and see if you can find some discounted forward to upgrade Harrison Barnes or do you want to push your chips in and and try to go at this thing and that's a decision for the front office to make because there's a version of this where maybe you package Herter and Keegan Murray and you bring back a player like that and you slot Harrison Barnes up at the three they've had some success with like Sabonis, Trey Lyles Harrison Barnes lineups that are just bigger this season those lineups are actually plus nine per 100 possessions and 91 possessions this year when Barnes is next to Lyles and Sabonis and so like maybe you end up making a move like that and you have a a Sabonis Siakam Barnes uh, Malik Monk Deer, and Fox kind of lineup that you can go down with in in the postseason but that puts off a lot of your long-term upside right because of what whatever Keegan Murray and Kevin Herter can become so it's tough decisions but at the end of the day like if you want to keep Keegan Murray and keep some of your long-term upside, that significantly diminishes the caliber player that you can bring back in that four spot. You know, unless unless you can hold off. And maybe you get lucky and you hold off until the deadline, and then Siakam does go without having to include a Keegan Murray in the deal. But I, I do think it's smart in the short term to wait until February before including a guy like Keegan Murray in a deal like that. But the point is, I like Sabonis. Hyper athletic, versatile forward, someone like a Siakam, and then I like that De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk backcourt when we get into the postseason. Next question: The Warriors seem like they have a depth, uh, an issue with depth. A depth. People blame Steve because he wants to play like nine guys, but we have twelve that can play. I think a good trade will be great for adding back a better player or two, while also adding a subtraction. It seems like no one can get a rhythm since everyone's minutes are ups and up and down. Do you think the Warriors depth will get better with the trade or worse? Thank you for your uh thank you for the time you put in the show. Thank you for the kind words. Um I talk about this a lot with the Lakers too because they have a similar issue where they have got like a bunch of guys that can play. They got like 11 or 12 guys that can be in the rotation. My thing is like consistency is what matters. It's Like Yeah, at the deadline, you want to make a consolidation trade is what you call that. If you've got guys at the end of your rotation that are good enough to play more minutes, but they aren't playing more minutes because you don't have room for them in the rotation, then you're getting less out of that contract than someone else could get, which means it's worth more to you as a trade piece than it is a rotation piece, unless you're planning in the long run, right? So a lot of this comes down to the Warriors decision-making as it stands. uh, Like, are you going all in on the Steph era or are you trying to rebuild for the future and leaning into Kaminga and Moody and Trace Jackson Davis and Brandon Pizemski, right? And that's decision number one. But if you make the decision to lead into Steph, then from there, it's a two-step process. Step one, Lean into a rotation. We're going to talk about this when we talk about Draymond uh, here in a minute, but there's a specific lineup that I want to see the Warriors lean into until the deadline. When you get to the deadline, then it's about a consolidation trade. You want to turn two or three rotation players into one or two better rotation players because it simplifies your rotation and raises your ceiling. That's the way that I would approach it when we get to the deadline this year. We're going to talk more Warriors here in a minute. Next question. How come you never talk about the Magic, who's been in top four in their conference all year long, and how Paolo Boncaro is already taking a superstar leap in year two? I've never seen a a number one pick get such little coverage as Paolo does. Um, Before these last two wins, the Magic had lost 8 out of 11. And that was the main reason why we haven't been talking a lot of Magic. They're a young team. I don't view them as a serious championship contender. And as you guys know, this show is going to take a much harder look at the top 10 teams in the league. Like, there are... NBA shows out there that have a more balanced approach to all 30 teams. um, That's just not the way we do it here. Like, I will occasionally talk about young players and rookie rankings and draft stuff, and we will look at the teams in that 11 to 20 range occasionally, but I'm primarily leaning into those top 10 teams, and the Magic have for stretches of the year, been a top 10 regular season team, but I don't view them as a champi- uh, top 10 championship contender. They're super young and their half-court offense is garbage. So that's the main reason why. that That's that's why we don't talk about them as much on the show. But that said, we have hit the Magic at like a half dozen times this year. It's not like we don't talk about them. And here's the thing. I think Paolo is going to be awesome. To put it simply, Paolo represents a type of player that I really, really think thrives when we get to the later rounds of the postseason. He is a bully ball forward, and he's actually more advanced as a passer than I think a lot of people expected him to be at this point. Jumper still has a ways to go. He's going to have to get better at it. He has shot the ball better this year than he did last year, but that like there, there's room for improvement there. Uh, He's better defensively than he was last year, too. I actually do see him as a guy that could take the leap to legitimate superstardom in the future. But most importantly, I just envision Paolo in an Eastern Conference Finals, just in a rock fight of a game, just playing bully ball around the rim and generating uh, open looks out of drawing multiple defenders and out of just being bigger and stronger than everybody. So I'm a huge fan of Paolo. We're going to talk in a little bit about Jalen Suggs too, when we talk about role players. So like, it's not so much that I dislike the magic or that we're, uh, you know, ignoring them on purpose. It's just kind of like the way the layout of the show works, right? Like we're going to heavy focus on the top 10 teams, occasional focus on the middle 10 teams, Gonna hit the big markets. Your Celtics, your Warriors, your Lakers. They're gonna get the Knicks. We're gonna do a lot of that kind of stuff because that's just kind of the the the, the layout of this particular show. All right, Draymond Green is back. He is uh, signed a multi-year extension with the uh, the volume, which I'm very very excited about. I feel uh, uh, I'm proud to be under the same media umbrella as Draymond. I think he's one of the great. Uh, up-and-coming media talents that we have in the industry. I think he's got a long media career ahead of him after he retires, and I'm very, very happy to have him on with the volume. Yesterday, he released his apology podcast, which needed to happen, as we know. I thought it was super, super uh, um, uh, transparent, and I thought he was being super vulnerable. It was something that I respected. You know, Draymond. I, I, Draymond talked about you know how he got frustrated after what happened with all the people talking about how he needed help. And, I, you know, part of me kind of, like, saw where he was coming from in the moment, too. Because, like, that's the thing. is like, we see Draymond a lot, but we see him in these brief windows. And, like, I could see how he would be, like, who the hell... Like, why do you think you know me? Like, why do you... Who have only seen these brief windows into my, my life think you know who I am as a human being and I I totally sympathize with that because it's the, it's the truth like I I'll, I'll just put it this way like I'm a lot better now in my early thirties but like if you only knew me on the basketball court when I was like twenty five you probably didn't like me very much I was I was a dickhead I was a hothead I I didn't really handle uh I I handle I didn't handle my competent uh a competitive energy really well I just. I, I had issues that, that that I had to deal with on the basketball court. Off the court, though, totally different guy, right? And so, like, it wouldn't have been fair to to judge who I was as a human being based on that. Now, uh, Draymond did ha- does have some on-court issues, and he specifically addressed them. But I, I did sympathize with his frustration there. There were two things in the podcast, though, that I thought were were super, super interesting as it pertains to Draymond, like, really taking a different approach to this. One... He said that he turned help from a negative thing into a positive thing. And I thought that was really cool because he's right. Like, why is it that we suddenly look at the idea that you need help as a bad thing? We all need help. Like, you guys have no idea what my wife does for me on a daily basis to keep me sane, right? Like, that's help. Does that, like, like that's 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 help that I need on a daily basis. Some people get excellent benefits out of therapy. Some people get excellent benefits out of specific relationships that they lean on for emotional support. Like that is not a weakness. And and I thought it was cool that Draymond, you know, basically was like, yeah, like people, I was hearing these people saying I need help. And I was like, screw you. Why are you saying I need help? And it's like, actually, no, no, no. Like help is a good thing. Help is not a negative thing. Why am I putting such a negative energy on that? And then the second thing that I thought was really interesting is he talked about how he always used his play as an excuse for his behavior, right? And Draymond all the time. would Remember that big Instagram story that he recently had? And he talked about how like – yeah, I, I have uh, always been wired this way and this is how I win and like I channel this energy and that's what makes me who I am and it's a good thing, right? And it's like part of who I am. And like Draymond was like, no, that's an excuse. I was using it as an excuse for bad behavior. And I thought, I thought those were two really good examples of Draymond like completely changing his approach. To put it simply, the Gobert thing, he was making excuses and this time he wasn't. That to me is, is, a, is, a, is a sign of a guy who's like really looking in the mirror and, and striving for self-improvement. At the same time, he said like, I have not changed completely in three weeks. Like it takes a lot of time. He's like, this is only the beginning of this process. I thought it was really, really, uh, 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 I thought it was a really uh, reflective podcast from Draymond in terms of just him striving to be the best version of himself. Now, the, I want to move into our follow-up question. Is Draymond Green the key to unlocking the Warriors lineups featuring both Kaminga and Wiggins? Personally, I see that lineup as potentially devastating. This is where it gets exciting because I actually think Draymond coming back now could mean a lot more for the Warriors than people think. And there's a couple of specific reasons. One, I think Draymond thinks he let his team down. And I think that that's going to cause him to approach this next couple of months with an insane level of intensity as a competitor to try to make it up to his teammates. Two, the Warriors are in some trouble. They're in some legitimate trouble in the standings, and they got to figure some shit out, right? Steph went right back into a slump, uh, uh, played horribly against the Raptors as they got thrashed. They're in some trouble. They need to play really good basketball. And so... When you combine like the kind of personal feeling of uh, of of wanting to make it up to his team with the urgency of the situation, I think we're going to get some incredible play out of Draymond Green over the next couple of months. I think that that specific lineup that you're referencing that Steph, Clay, Andrew Wiggins, Jonathan Kaminga, Draymond needs to start every game until a trade is made. He needs to play major minutes and have a long leash until every game is played. That is your five best players. That is your best opportunity. Like, I understand that Wiggins is not playing well, but you need to try to push through that a little bit longer to see what you can get because you're not going to be trading Wiggins in all likelihood. So you're going to be likely having to move some of these younger players. So you need to lean into Wiggins getting back on track. But I see switchability there. I see drop coverage. I I see the ability to run multiple different coverages defensively. I see, like... Uh, with Draymond shooting the ball as well as he has this year, I look at a a lineup with a lot of offensive firepower in terms of downhill athleticism. Obviously, Kaminga and Andrew Wiggins on the weak side and shooting could be an issue, but that's already been an issue in other lineups, so why not have that but also be super athletic? I think they're going to be really physically imposing in that group. That's the one you lean into. You lean into that five, you see what you have there, and then you make a call when you get into February and they get closer to the deadline. Next question. I think the reason the Clippers have been relatively healthy this year versus the uh, versus last year is because of the aggregate ball handling and uh, taking pressure off of K- uh, PG and Kawhi. Do you think that plays a factor, and do you think it will hold off in the playoffs? Honestly, I don't know. Uh, I do think the aggregate ball handling has really helped in terms of just how good they look. They're more organized on offense. James Harden, just to put it simply, if I had to put it down to one concept— He gets the defense into rotation a lot, which makes the game of basketball so much easier when you're playing with guys closing out at you versus a set and loaded defense. So I think it's helped. As far as the injuries go, like your guess is as good as mine. It could be luck. It could be Kawhi and PG just playing more and them just being more conditioned and therefore holding up better as they play. Like I don't really know what it is uh, as far as the health goes, but I do know the ball handling has really helped the basketball product a lot. Next question. Jason, in your opinion, who do you think is the most valuable player to their team? I don't mean who's the best player. It could possibly be a player that's like the 50th best player in the league if you think they're the most valuable to their team. This is meant as a question that's sort of more fun if you want to set aside versus obvious answers such as Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, Luka, Curry, etc. and pick someone you feel has a role on a team that is absolutely essential and reliant to them having any team success, no matter how small or large. Have at it. All right, great question, by the way. So the star guys, the three guys that come to mind are Embiid, Halliburton, and Luka Doncic. Those three guys I think have been doing the most with least in terms of the superstar class this year. Some role player examples. Aaron Gordon and KCP. With Contavius Caldwell-Pope as a primary point of attack defender, Aaron Gordon as a low man and as a guy that can guard the Kawhis and the LeBrons and the Kevin Durants, I don't think that you can do much better Uh, more in terms of importance in the winning context than what Aaron Gordon and uh, KCP do for Denver. Derek White with the Boston Celtics. Here's a crazy stat for you. The Celtics are 14 points better per 100 possessions with Derek White on the floor versus off. The next closest Celtic is Tatum at plus four. So that goes to show you what Derek White does. Outstanding point of attack defense. One of the best shot blocking guards in the league. Really, really good offensive player. Gets an excellent passer, gets the defense in rotation. Primary action that the Celtics like to run at the end of games is a Derek White, Jason Tatum two man game. Like his pull up three point shooting has been outstanding. Derek White's just an awesome role player. Jalen Suggs in Orlando. He was the hero of the end of that uh, Denver Nuggets game the other night, just with the job that he did on Jamal Murray to help shut down that uh, Jokic Murray two man game at the end of the game. Just an incredible point of attack defender. Jump shooting comes and goes, but I think his physicality at the guard position is immensely important to what Orlando does. Alex Caruso in Chicago, very similar concept. Lou Dort in Oklahoma City, very similar concept. Like Lou Dort, I, I think is vitally important to Oklahoma City with the job that he can do as a primary defender on the ball. Um, taking those specific assignments, a lot of point of attack defenders in there. That the having a guy that can guard the other team's best player and and You know, respectably fight over the top of screens and make things difficult and pick and roll is a hugely valuable uh, concept in the NBA. All right, four questions uh, left. What other NBA content do you consume besides games? Do you ever watch thinking basketball videos on YouTube's player on YouTube player podcasts or other shows? So I used to consume a ton of NBA content before I was doing this for a living. Um, I was l- listening to a lot of Zach Lowe. I was listening to a lot of Pete Zayas with like her film room. I was, uh, thinking basketball was a, vi- uh, a channel that I spent a lot of time on there. There were a JJ Reddick, I think is one of the very best in the business. Like JJ Reddick is the guy that I personally strive to be like, when I think about like the guy who's the best at doing what I do for a living, I look at JJ, someone that I respect a great deal. He's kind of like a role model for me, so to speak in the industry, someone that I look up to a great deal. Um, but since I started doing this for a living, honestly like I've been trying to find I spend a ton of time around the game. So like I coach basketball at least twice a week. I um play basketball in some capacity at least 6 days a week. I my strength training is geared around basketball and then for this job, like I literally watch like 30 hours of film a week at a minimum if not more. And so as a result of that, like I actually have been trying to find reasons to not do basketball related things. And so it used to be, I'm a big, like I put in my AirPods whenever I'm doing like weight training, shooting workouts, any sort of housework, anything of that, like th- that nature. I like listen to stuff for like hour and a half a day. Um, but that used to be basketball podcasts. And now I'm using that as an opportunity to take a mental break from the game. And so I still occasionally listen to those guys, uh, mainly just because I, 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 I'm a big believer in, like, learn as much about the game as you can. And I, I learn about the game from guys like that. I learn about the game from you guys in the comments. They're, they're about once a week, twice a week, I'll see a comment, and I'll be, like, I'll be like, oh, that's a really interesting concept that I wasn't thinking about. A lot of you guys who are specific fans of teams, it really means a lot to me when you guys take time to write out, like, you're frustrated. Like, it's, if you're a, let's say you're a Pacers fan and you're frustrated about a specific lineup thing or, or you disagree with something that I'm saying, when you, like, write out the basketball case for it in the comments, I read those every single time and I learn about that kind of stuff. Like, I have no delusions of grandeur to think that I know everything about the game of basketball. No, like, I consume as much of it as possible. I try to learn as much as possible. I'm constantly tr- changing my basketball worldview based on new information. And I don't think there's any person out there that can't teach me something about the game. And so I definitely still listen to those guys when I, every once in a while, but I, I listen to a lot of star Wars, uh, star Wars, audiobooks and stuff like that. Like I'm a huge star Wars fan. So I look for opportunities to, I've j- like, just went through the new high Republic book that just came out. I, I've been listening to a lot of expanded universe stuff. Like I just, it, it almost allows me to disconnect. And so now when I'm you know, doing the dishes instead of constantly inundating myself with more and more basketball, I'll take a break and I'll listen to a star Wars book. And now it's like, I disconnect. It's almost like I'm relaxing in a different way while I'm working. So hopefully that answers that question for you. Speaking of star Wars, uh, uh, Ryan Brumley, our lead producer, sent me a a link to a new movie coming out. That's called the adventure. I think it's like the adventures of the Mandalorian and Grogu or the Mandalorian and Grogu or something like that. And he asked me my take on the movie and I, I was, I was looking at it and like the Mandalorian season three ended with Grogu and Mandalorian the, and Mando sitting on like a porch chilling. And they did like the sh- shrink circle thing on them. It made it kind of seem like it was over. And what kind of bothers me about this is it's very much like classic Disney, like let's make a movie because this is popular and we can make money on it. And I understand Grogu's got a, a big following and and a lot of people are fans of him. My thing is I think the Grogu Mandalorian storyline has kind of run its course. And so that means that they're gonna force something to make a movie, which it just to me is just a, a bad process. Like I understand the idea of like take something that's there, that already has a certain amount of public interest, and then build around it, and then you have a certain guaranteed amount of traffic from that. But I think that approach has too much fear as it pertains to creating something new. And Star Wars is so desperate to go out of this timeline and to make something different. Get out of this into, I don't care if it's way in the past or way in the future, where they can build something new that can capture the old Star Wars fans and the new Star Wars fans. But I think they're just scared to do it. And that's a real bummer. And I'm hoping Dave Filoni can kick that trend over the course of the next couple of years. Next question, we have two more. Why is the 3 and D player so rare in the NBA? Every team wants one, but not all teams can find them. It's really this simple to me. There's a lot of guys that can shoot the three that aren't really great defenders, and there are a lot of really great defenders that can't really shoot the three. The guys that can do both make like 25 plus million a year. And now you're talking about a damn near star level contract for a a guy that 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 fills that 3 and D role player role. And so generally speaking... Most of these teams are looking for the discounted mid-level exception, veteran minimum, biannual exception guys that can do one thing really well and are only okay in the other and try to build a lineup around that. But the truth of the matter is it's not so much that there's not that many of them. It's just the ones that can do it are too expensive to really take up a a significant chunk on your roster, especially if you've got multiple stars on your payroll. Uh, Last question. You've had... Way too many, or you've had too many basketball questions. So let's get weird. Have you ever thought about snowboarding? So I ski personally. I heard it was easier on your knees. That was the main reason I decided it to begin with. Also, most of the people that I go with do ski. So, like, I have two groups that I primarily go to the mountain with I go with my friends and I go with my wife's family. My wife snowboards, and my wife's brother snowboards. But my wife's other two brothers both ski, and my wife's father skis. And my wife's father is an excellent skier, and he actually taught me how to ski. And so that group largely skiers. And then when I go with my friends, I've got my wife who snowboards and one of my buddies who snowboards, but then the rest of us ski. And so it's just it just makes more sense to ski because I get better pointers. It's 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 more camaraderie in that respect. I also just heard it's safer on your knees because your feet get anchored. Now my wife my wife's an excellent snowboarder. She's been snowboarding since she was very young. And she just is like, oh yeah, I want to try skiing this year. And I literally told her, I'm like, I don't get that. I'm like, you're, my wife is like really good at snowboarding. Like she's way better at snowboarding than I am at skiing. And like, I'll be like, you're already so good at this. Why would you want to go on the mountain and be less good at something when you can just be continue to be really good at snowboarding? And she's great at it too. Like, like how, how are you not just wanting to do more of that? I know for me personally, like I won't try snowboarding because I've actually become a decent skier and I have a freaking great time when I'm skiing. So I'd rather just ski. Uh, that doesn't mean I won't ever try it, but like it would have to be, I'd have to like literally live on a mountain and ski 50 days a year for me to be like, okay, I'll take five to try snowboarding just to see if I like it. But like right now I'm skiing on average like eight to 10 days a year. And so I'd rather just spend those eight to 10 days doing what I'm already good at, which is skiing. You know what I mean? I'm not like great at it by any stretch of the imagination, but I can get down. You know what I mean? And I have fun doing it. Um, I would say, I was talking about this earlier today with a buddy of mine at the gym. I'd say skiing is probably my, I'm going to go with, third favorite thing to do in the world behind playing basketball and uh and playing guitar all right guys that is all i have for today headed out of town for a few days like i said i'll bring my gear with me in case anything big goes down if not i'll see you guys in a few days as always i sincerely appreciate you and i'll see you then
0: Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions.
2: Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health.